0: And I noticed John did, but that was obviously in relation to the bus work he does, not being a pastor. But yeah, work can be a bit of a mixed bag. At times it can be very fulfilling and energising. I'm not so sure about easy, but as we've all experienced, no doubt, if we've been involved at work at any point, it can be exceedingly frustrating, very difficult and very, very um, exhausting as well. So hence the topic that we've moved to, work and the fall. And so we looked at that, we started to look at that last week. And uh, last Sunday was Genesis 11, the Tower of Babel. And today we're focusing on Genesis chapter 3, which is the fall. So we're actually going to be um, playing a DVD. There's one DVD in three parts. And so we're going to get into that uh, very shortly. But before we do, we're going to read um, about the fall in Genesis chapter 3. So if you've got a Bible... You might want to turn there, otherwise it will be on the screen. Genesis chapter 3, and then we're going to play the first part of the DVD. So this is Genesis 3, the Word of God. And because this was originally written in Hebrew, which I can't read, I'm very grateful to have an English translation. And on this occasion, we're reading from the New International Version. Genesis 3. Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman... And they hid from the Lord, God, among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man, Where are you? He answered, I heard you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. And he said, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? The man said, The woman you put here with me, she gave me some fruit from the tree, and I ate it. Then the Lord God said to the woman, What is this you have done? The woman said, "'The serpent deceived me, and I ate.'" So the Lord God said to the serpent, "'Because you have done this, "'cursed are you above all livestock and all wild animals. "'You will crawl on your belly, and you will eat dust all the days of your life, "'and I will put enmity between you and the woman "'and between your offspring and hers. "'He will crush your head, and you will strike his heel.'" To the woman he said, "'I will make your pains in childbearing very severe.'" With painful labor, you will give birth to children. Your desire will be for your husband and he will rule over you. To Adam he said, Because you listened to your wife and ate fruit from the tree about which I commanded you, you must not eat from it. Cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil, you will eat food from it all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles for you. And you will eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your brow... You will eat your food until you return to the ground, since from it you were taken, for dust you are, and to dust you will return. Adam named his wife Eve, because she would become the mother of all the living. The Lord God made garments of skin for Adam and his wife and clothed them. And the Lord God said, The man has now become like one of us, knowing good and evil. He must not be allowed to reach out his hand and take also from the tree of life and eat and live forever. So the Lord God banished him from the Garden of Eden to work the ground from which he had been taken. After he drove the man out, he placed on the east side of the Garden of Eden cherubim and a flaming sword flashing back and forth to guard the way to the tree of life. Let's listen to the first DVD. Thank you.
1: Having to work with incomplete information and make quick decisions. When
0: I'm with someone who feels hopeless and they continue to feel hopeless. Sometimes there are a lot of policies and politics that you have to jump through before you can get something done. The system be down. That You have to convince people that the, the resources, the finances, the funding uh, is worth it. Other people's lack of uh, get-up-and-go and and dedication and interest in, in completing their job roles.
1: Work is good? Really? I'm sure that a doubt has been running through your mind since the last session. I was made to work? Really? To sit in a cubicle? I was made to deal with difficult customers? I was made to work for my boss? I was made to hear my toddler scream at me for hours on end? I was made to grind away the mind-numbing hours at the supermarket checkout. Really? Yes, really. But that is not all there is to say because the Bible story does not end with Genesis 2. The next chapter explains why so many of us find work to be so frustrating, difficult, and exhausting. In Genesis 3, a serpent enters God's good garden and Adam and Eve both fail the first job God gave them. God had placed Adam and Eve in the garden, with a few primary expectations, that they would work and keep the garden, that they could eat freely from all the fruit of the garden, but not from one tree, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Instead of listening to God, they listened to the serpent. So they did not get to stay in the garden. They ate from the tree, and there are consequences. Even in this short passage, we see so much of what makes our workplace difficult. Work failure, the couple spectacularly failed in the job God gave them. Relational breakdown. Adam and Eve blame others and hide in shame because of their sin, rather than get joy from knowing God. Maneuvering to save face, Adam blames Eve, who blames the serpent. Everyone is trying to look better than they are, and no one is willing to take the blame. Ethical complexity. Well, God had made His command clear to Adam and Eve, One manipulative question by the serpent made them wonder what was truly right and wrong. After the failure of Adam and Eve, God responds. And it should not surprise us that God's response is intimately tied to the work He had called them to do. Let's hear God's response again. To the woman, He said, I will surely multiply your pain and childbearing. In pain you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be for your husband, and he shall rule over you. Here the promise of work as creation, collaboration, and cultivation is ripped apart and filled with conflict. We see broken creation. Genesis 3 reveals that work as creation is no longer what it could and should be. The task of multiplying and expanding this garden into all the world is now filled with pain and trouble. Parents, you know how one day you enjoy your kids. You play and laugh with them and find great joy in parenting. Then the next day they refuse to sleep, sounds of screaming fill the home, and despair can easily replace joy. And we all struggle against forces that limit our potential. A woman in a village in Africa may have a brilliant idea for a business, but lacks the startup funds to begin. Construction crews must halt construction because of a recession. Complex regulations and red tape can stifle business initiatives. Farmers work hard at planting their crops but weeds grow up alongside plants. Work always involves creation, but the task of creation is now hard work. It is filled with trouble. We see broken collaboration. God says to Eve, your desire shall be for your husband and he shall rule over you. People disagree about the precise meaning of this verse, but it's clear that there's a major breakdown in the relationship between Adam and Eve. Rather than harmonious cooperation and the multiplying of the garden into all the world, there will be strife, conflict, and misunderstanding. We see the same pattern beyond the marriage relationship. Instead of seamless collaboration in our workplaces, there is rivalry, gossip, dishonesty, and a lack of trust. And we see broken cultivation. God says to Adam, cursed is the ground because of you. The result? Thorns, pain, sweat, exhaustion, death. We work hard, but cannot produce the results we long for. For every victory at work, it seems there is a matching disappointment. And when it comes to work, seasons of fruitfulness are often quickly consumed by times of hardship. We find a job we love that matches our passion and then layoffs hit and we are unemployed. We join a strong working team and then it is ruined by rivalry and gossip. We daily have customers who treat us with disrespect and disdain. We find an overseer who we enjoy working for, and then he asks us to do something that would violate our faith. Work is still collaboration, but no matter how hard we work, we cannot overcome the thorns that continually grow around us.
0: Shortly, we'll have the second DVD, but just before we do, a couple of comments. We've gone back to the start, have we? Let me go through... Sorry, yeah, there we are. So we see the fall was just obviously absolutely devastating for God's good creation. And uh, there's a bit of a quote here, this is actually taken from the ESV study Bible notes, adapted a little bit. Adam and Eve's sin had terrible consequences for the whole of creation. As a result, God's creation was thrown into disorder with chaotic effects that result from the disruption of all the harmonious relationships that God had previously established. And we know that well and true, don't we, living this side of the fall? Uh, this was part of what we just uh, heard. Um, the gentleman there, I forget his name, Tom. Tom said, the promise of work is creation, collaboration and cultivation is ripped apart and filled With conflict. And yes, we know all about that. I just wanted to highlight one thing about this which we'll pick up on um, in due course and that is that Adam and and Eve's sin first of all broke their relationship with God. So there's a vertical relationship that that was broken. Mankind's relationship with God was broken by their sin and it's as a result of that that we have uh, damage in every other part of creation. Secondly, their relationships with each other and uh, the, har- the harmony in creation was also broken. But it all flowed from that first um, sin, breaking the relationship with God and the chaos and, and everything that followed affected horizontally as well um, our relationships with each other, the husband and wife relationship, all relationships with each other, and the harmony we, enjoy, uh, we did enjoy in creation beforehand. All of that was affected because of that first sin which broke the relationship with God. Let's listen to the next uh, part of the DVD as we think about the question, how do we respond um, to this situation? So thank you guys.
1: We've seen how creation is broken, but how do we respond? How should the insights of Genesis 3 reshape the way we see our work? Our tendency is either to view work as painful drudgery or as an idol. And Genesis 3 points us to a liberating vision of work in a broken world that avoids both of these. It has two parts. It's both realistic and hopeful. First, it is realistic. Work is hard. There will be thorns. However, it would be a mistake for us to miss why work is now so difficult. Simply put, work is so difficult because now, apart from Christ, human beings are not reconciled to God. This breach is what has opened a flood of disappointment and frustration into our workplaces. Genesis 3 is realistic about these thorns and gives us a glimpse of a number of thorns we will face in our work. There will be relational conflict. Sin at the center of Genesis 3 is that Adam and Eve tried to be something they were not. They tried to be God. And the promise of the serpent was that if they ate one particular food of the garden, they could be like God. The result is now our workplaces are marred by how every human being is trying to be their own God. So the relational conflict you face at work has deeper roots than simple personality differences. The root of all our conflict at work is that we are cut off from the living God, starving for the love, acceptance and presence of God we lost in the garden there will be ethical complexity for many of us the workplace is filled with questions of how to live out the christian life how do you respond to an off-color joke how do you respond to a manager who is aggressive or bullying or racist when is it appropriate to share your faith in the context of your workplace Other questions can be far more complex. Can a Christian develop weapons and good conscience? Should a believing farmer plant his fields with genetically modified foods? Or should you blow the whistle on colleagues involved in common but unfair practices? There will be injustice. Injustice seems to be ingrained everywhere we look. Glass ceilings have prevented gifted and able women from flourishing. Many poor people are subject to the dominance of unjust political leaders. Economic systems in some parts of the world include slavery and the oppression of the poor. And there is frustration even for those who seek to serve the poor and give generously as their efforts seem to produce little good. Injustice in our world has many causes, but all are rooted in this one central sin, the desire of every human to be their own God. We are called to be true stewards of our generous God who gives of himself for the good of others. Instead, we use economic, political, and vocational power to serve our own ends. Work will feel meaningless. At times it can be hard to see how our work truly matters. We find no joy from what we are doing, grow tired of our work, or perhaps our work is the same repetitive motion all day long on an assembly line. We want to challenge the idea that work is meaningless, but it can appear meaningless because we are cut off from the garden. Apart from a restored relationship to God through Christ, it will be much harder to find meaning from all our work. We will be prone to workaholism. In Western countries, there is a culture of working ourselves to the bone, leaving little margin for rest. What could be the source of this pride and overwork? Perhaps we tell ourselves it is for greater financial security, to compete with others in our career path, or so that our best work can be done. Some of our reasons for overwork are good reasons, but these may mask a darker reason for the long hours and absence from friends and family. We no longer have the life of Adam in the garden where our identity, needs, and hopes rest in God's provision for us alone. We sense we need to prove ourselves to others because we no longer rest our identity in God. We easily give in to overwork because we no longer find our deepest satisfaction in knowing God and being known by Him. We find it easy to find ultimate value in work rather than in God. We will be prone to slothfulness. The opposite problem of overwork is underwork. And we are brilliant at finding creative excuses not to do our work or to do just enough of our work to keep our job and keep the paychecks coming. We rely on the hard work and creativity of others instead of cooperating with them and working hard ourselves. Ironically, the sins of slothfulness and workaholism often go together. We may overwork for the vast majority of our lives in order to win a long, leisurely, self-indulgent retirement. And both of these attitudes reflect the way our broken relationship with God has marred the way we work. Workaholism can never give us the identity we so long for and a long and leisurely retirement will not give us the rest we long for. This is only possible through a restored relationship to the God who placed us here with work to do. These are just a few of the thorns present in our workplace. And through the course of our studies, we will seek to address how Christians should respond to the troubles of work. However, today our focus must be on the central reason why work is so frustrating. Genesis 3 is saying that our work is frustrating because we have sought to be our own gods. For Christians, this has two inescapable implications. First, we participate in the brokenness in our workplace. We are sinners who contribute to the relational breakdown in our workplaces. We are sinners who overwork, often seeking our identity outside of Christ. And we are sinners who look down on certain types of workers, thinking them insignificant or meaningless. We are sinners who have first sinned against the God who made us and bring that pride and self-centeredness into our workplaces. We are not simply victims of the brokenness of our workplace. We are co-conspirators. Because we are still sinful, we contribute to the problem. So daily the workplace should be a place of our repentance, both to God and to our co-workers. Second, we know thorns are in every job, There is no job that is free of pain. While some careers may certainly better fit who we are, Christians should never think that there is a job free of the brokenness of Genesis 3. Therefore, we should be cautious about jumping from career to career, thinking the next position or job will fulfill all our deepest longings. Perhaps a new job would be a better fit, but wherever we work, we will find the realities of Genesis 3 present. We should not be surprised by difficult days, and trouble-filled seasons in our working lives. This is simply how it is living in a fallen world. Rather, we should rejoice at the goodness of God to us when things work well.
0: Let's just pick up on three things that Tom said. He said, work is so difficult because now, apart from Christ, human beings are not reconciled to God. Another quote of his, the root of all our conflict at work is that we are cut off from the living God. Do you believe that? He's saying the root of all our conflict at work is that we are cut off from the living God. And apart from a restored relationship to God through Christ, it will be much harder to find meaning from all our work. I agree with those views. And they reflect the fact that your relationship with God must be fixed it's that vertical relationship with God it must be fixed before your relationships with others and the disorder within creation can be fixed we can spend a lot of time and energy sometimes on the horizontal relationships and that can be good to a point but ultimately the Christian church has good news about Jesus and it's through Jesus Christ that we can enjoy a fixed relationship with God through the forgiveness and the adoption that is through Jesus. And it's that vertical relationship that must be fixed before we can start to see um, a restoring of broken relationships, etc., cetera, um, in our horizontal relationship. So with that in mind, can someone's broken relationship with God be fixed? Well, obviously, yes, it can. There is hope. And so we're going to listen to the third D, uh, part of the DVD about this. Thank you.
1: Genesis three is not just realistic, it is also filled with hope. In particular, three things stand out in the text. We are not directly cursed, but the serpent is. When God speaks to Adam and Eve, various aspects of their lives are cursed. The ground is cursed and work will now be painful. But this is very different from what God says to the serpent. To the serpent, God says, cursed are you above all livestock. Notice the difference? God announces the serpent's final destruction, but not the first humans. Adam and Eve are undoubtedly as guilty as the serpent and deserved his fate, as we all do. But God's curse is not directly on Adam and Eve. Yes, the ground is cursed and our work is now hard. The consequences of humanity's sin is devastating. Death, pain, and fruitless toil. But while the serpent receives only bad news, Adam and Eve received good news of hope as well. Our work will produce fruit we may enjoy. The ground may produce thorns and it will mean sweat and hard work, but there will be fruit from our labor. There will be food to eat. Yes, childbearing will now be a painful act, but children made in God's image will continue to fill the earth even better. God promises Eve that one day a child descended from her will be born who will destroy the serpent once and for all. Whatever your job is, it will be hard, but it also will bear fruit. Genesis 3 invites us to eat of the fruit, to enjoy what our labor produces. But even more than this, we can work in hope because God has promised the death of the serpent, which suggests that the story does not end. If the story of the Bible was a tragedy, it would have ended right here in Genesis 3. But it does not end. It is not ultimately a tragedy. It is a tale of heroic victory that brings fallen humankind from rags to riches. God graciously clothes Adam and Eve's nakedness. He promises that their labor will not ultimately be in vain and promises a child who will do what Adam and Eve could not, defeat the serpent. The frustrations, difficulties, and brokenness that you feel at work have an end date because God will one day undo the curse that invades our lives and vocations. Therefore, whatever your frustrations are at work, they must be considered in light of the story of the Bible, the story that is not yet ended, the story that continues with the birth of the Son who defeated the serpent and gives a new hope, not just to reconcile us back to God, but also to infuse our work with new meaning.
0: Good news, isn't it, that uh, Genesis 3 is isn't the end. The story continues. God will one day undo the curse that invades our lives and vocations. Fantastic news. Jesus' death and resurrection defeated the serpent. That is Satan, the deceiver. His death and resurrection defeated him once and for all. You can be reconciled to God. That's that vertical relationship I've been talking about. You can be reconciled to God, made friends with God. And despite all the thorns, which we won't escape um, until Jesus returns, despite all the thorns, we can enjoy new, mer- new meaning um, with our work through Jesus Christ. We've listened to some uh, great things um, today. Let me just wrap this up um, briefly. Uh, but to comment a little bit on some of what we've participated with this uh, with uh, in this morning romans 12one to 2 isn't that a fantastic passage and at basic youth we actually reflected on those couple of verses in view of the mercies of god to offer our bodies as a living sacrifice holy and pleasing to god not to be uh, conformed to the pattern of this world but to be transformed by the renewing of our minds a couple of things to do something to not do there but based on the mercies of god if you want to know particularly what that is you need to read romans 1 to 11 but there it talks about us being unrighteous but jesus the christ coming so that we can be justified declared righteous before god isn't that an amazing benefit that we don't deserve that we receive through jesus christ and there was a verse that the uh, kid's time saying, "Can anyone remind me Romans 3 623? What was the last part of it? Gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Isn't that incredible news? The gift of God is eternal life. Life with God now and forever it is a gift through Jesus Christ. We have a wonderful Savior and one Thessalonians, thank you John, that was uh, fantastic as we remembered the Lord's death and resurrection. One thing that stood out to me when John was talking about those three things was the last one as we to wait, We, we, we wait for Jesus' return and yes life can be pretty tough now but we are waiting too for a new heavens and a new earth, the home of righteousness. So let me finish I'm thinking of a passage in the Bible that I want to go to in uh, Isaiah. We'll just read this passage and then we'll pray and hand back to John. But this is um, Isaiah, I think we'll go to chapter 11 when I find it. Isaiah 11. Isaiah was a prophet and he was talking about the future, which was partially fulfilled when Jesus came, but... We wait for jesus to come again when this will be completely fulfilled so let's read isaiah 11 and just about nine verses a shoot will come up from the stump of jesse from his roots a branch will bear fruit the spirit of the lord will rest on him the spirit of wisdom and of understanding the spirit of counsel and of power the spirit of knowledge and of the fear of the lord referring to jesus christ and he will delight in the fear of the lord He will not judge by what he sees with his eyes or decide by what he hears with his ears. But with righteousness, he will judge the needy. With justice, he will give decisions for the poor of the earth. Isn't this good news? He will strike the earth with the rod of his mouth. With the breath of his lips, he will slay the wicked. Righteousness will be his belt and faithfulness the sash around his waist. The wolf will lie with the lamb. The leopard will lie down with the goat. What a tremendous picture of peace. The calf and the lion and the yearling together and a little child will lead them. The cow will feed with the bear. Their young will lie down together and the lion will eat straw like the ox. The infant will play near the hole of the cobra and the young child put his hand into the viper's nest. They will neither harm nor destroy on all my holy mountain. For the earth will be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters Cover the sea. In that day, the root of Jesse will stand as a banner for the peoples. The nations will rally to him, and his place of rest will be glorious. That's our future as believers in the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for your love for us. We thank you that Genesis 3 was not the end, that in your grace and in your mercy, you provided a saviour. You provided a Lord, your, own, your son, your one and only son. We thank you that he came. We thank you for the opportunity we have now to turn, to turn from our sin, to turn to you, our God and Father. We thank you for the opportunity we have now to serve you, not just on Sundays, but every aspect of our lives is to be an expression of our worship, our service for you. And Father, we thank you, that Jesus Christ is coming again, that what he has started will be completed in perfection and that we will live with you forever. We thank you that we can wait with this glorious hope and we give you thanks in Jesus' name. Amen.
1: First part of this song and then Joshua will call us to stand to conclude the service together. So let's worship God with our tithes and offerings.